Welcome to the Militant Grind Podcast. Today, I have Spencer Aiken. He's a fitness educator with Stronger Together Education Academy. Now, Spencer's experience ranges from 20 plus years with hands-on experience in the health and fitness industry. And Spencer has honed his skills in various aspects of fitness training and business management. Over the last decade, he has been actively involved in teaching fitness and business-related topics, enriching the knowledge of numerous fitness professionals. Spencer, how are you doing today, sir? Excellent. How about yourself? I'm doing well, doing well. Glad to have you on. Heard great things about you. Glad to be here. Always love talking fitness. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's one of my things. So I'm glad that I'm able to learn, and my listeners are able to learn from a master educator. So let's get to it, because I have questions. And I'm sure my questions will answer other people's questions. So how did you get started in the fitness industry? I got started in the fitness industry is not being that most gifted athlete. So I wanted to play in, I wanted to play football in college, Mm -hmm. uh, but I was never the most gifted, uh, fastest, jump highest, all that fun stuff. But I knew I had the passion. So I started realizing that, you can learn, practice, get better, and develop sports performance. And this is in their early 90s before sports performance became what it is today. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then, it was just like, go do some bench press, go do some squats, maybe do some barbell curls. That that was the whole weight room. You know, we really didn't have strength coaches back then, or as they're called now, performance coaches. So I was good in high school, but I wasn't great And I wanted to play in college. It was always my goal to take it as far as my body would allow. Mm -hmm. And essentially, I did that. I took it to my senior year in college at a Division II Northern California, known as Humboldt State University, where I was playing wide receiver. First day of practice, first day of my senior year, blew out, tore my ACL. Season's over. What are you going to do from there? So I said, well, I can no longer play this year, so I might as well spend some time trying to figure things out through the course of politics in my university. I was not allowed to rehab or do my physical therapy at the school facility. There wasn't a whole lot of options there. So through correspondence with my back home. So I did that in Northern California, but I had my surgery in San Diego. Mm -hmm. So through correspondence, found out what the routine should look like, what physical therapy for ACL reconstruction should involve and did it essentially on my own. I met with a physical therapist twice, twice in six months. Everything else was on my own. So I started formulating, well, this is what makes sense for the human body. This is how much we can push. This is not the smartest thing to do. And I started to figure out and realize what my body was capable of. And if I was just your average type, If I could do it, more people could do it. Right. So through the course of bad, unfortunate luck that I have genetically and athletically, a year later, I blew out my other left. I blew out my left ACL. Fortunately, that time I got to rehab at an actual facility where they taught me this is the reason why you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Okay, so I started to get the actual understanding, the actual science behind the application that I already had. So through the course of all that, got offered a job at that facility. 
started learning physical therapy, started learning the aspect of, hmm, this is actually kind of cool information to learn and know. So that started my brain going, I really enjoy learning what the human body's capable of. Mm -hmm. This was sort of predating where we're at nowadays, where sports performance is a thing. Physical therapy is very popular in social media where they show different things. Back then, there was really nothing to do. There was no information available. So it was like hit and miss on what you could really learn. Mm -hmm. So I kind of picked careers that allowed me to learn more about what my body was capable of. So migrating from physical therapy, I got a job teaching at a university where I was the strength coach uh, teaching anatomy, physiology, exercise science, so that I could start to refine the knowledge I was reading in books. Because the easiest way to get good at a subject, you can read it and learn it all day long, but until you have to explain it three different ways to someone else, right. it's kind of like you don't necessarily understand it. One of the best um, movie portrayals that explains it was a Denzel Washington character, where he says, explain it to me like I'm eight. I think it was the movie Philadelphia. I'm not exactly sure, but I remember him saying that and going, that's how you have to be able to understand something, right. simplify, and then simplify it even more. So I started to get there. Mm -hmm. Had the job at the university, loved it, said I needed more challenges. And then I went into the world of chiropractic rehab so that I could learn more about the spine and our joints. Physical therapy teaches more about muscle and that type. I got to application of health and all that. Then I wanted to learn more about the actual spine and joints. I did that for three years, working in chiropractic care, learning on stretching, mobility, how the body can be pushed to end range of motion and still be safe, and how injuries happen because the muscles don't know how to be reactive in the proper nature. They're not pliable enough. So that's how a lot of our muscle strains get happened is we don't create a pliable nature of our muscle, which our muscles are capable of doing. We just don't train properly for that. A lot of the slow bodybuilder workouts that uh, baseball players were doing back in the day led to an increase in hamstring injuries. They would be rounding first, trying to run for a double, pull up lame with the hamstrings because they were doing leg curls mm -hmm. slow and controlled like a bodybuilder. We just didn't know any better. Now right. we know we want to be explosive. We want to be quick. Like I said, this was before all this really started happening. So I was doing it on my own, trying to figure out what I could do to help my body. Right. And that, um, and that does make sense because I do, I'm a big fan of slow and controlled, but yeah. I guess when you do do slow and controlled, you want to build the muscle. But yeah. if you're running, you want to make sure that the muscle is reactive on the fast twitching, right? 100%. So it's like you want to just, you know, do high volume and quick reps when yep. you're, you know, a baseball player. Well, that does, it sounds very simple, but I guess at the time it was just kind of hard to get. You know, you want to train the muscle on how you want it to react. Yes. So we want, everybody wants to look good. There's there's a simple, undeniable fact that everyone wants to look better. As my friend says, everyone wants to look better naked. Mm -hmm. So we were training the muscles for that. Hey, if my muscle looks better, it probably is better. Right. And to some degree there is. There's really two different opposing 
strength training protocols going on that we now know about. One is performance-based, teach the muscle to react quick, move powerfully, and you'll get some strength and some beauty out of it. Mm -hmm. Or also known as, uh, and then there's time under tension. Slow and controlled, make the muscle burn, get that buildup of lactic acid, and the muscle will then adapt to be stronger, capable of handling more loads, capable of withstanding that load so that we're stronger longer. Like if I was carrying a heavy box, I'd be able to do it better. But if I wanted to throw that box, I need to be more powerful. And now we're still learning that even the, you know, 30 years later, the field's still evolving, but we are farther ahead than we were 30 years ago to where we now know athletes need to train like athletes bodybuilders train like or train like bodybuilders there's some carryover you right. don't do one exclusively or the other we're starting to learn that power lifters need to be powerful strong men need to train slow and heavy long rest periods but we're starting to figure all that out we're getting better at it yeah yeah and i see that too now and you know that i want to talk to you about the fads so okay. What are some common misconceptions that you see that you often will have to debunk when it comes to fitness? That everyone really needs to be doing six or seven days a week. <clears throat> Most people think, oh, if I'm doing good, I want to do more. I got to do more. I got to constantly be doing it. Mm-hmm. The only people who really need to be in the gym six days a week. Unfortunately, there are some who go seven days a week. The only one who really needs to be in at that high level of volume are bodybuilders who are competing for a show. I have a deadline. It's three months from today. Every day is one step closer to that end goal. They have a hard and fast deadline of being on stage at their best. Mm -hmm. Everyone else needs more rest. The philosophy of, oh, I'm grinding is sort of a mislabeled experience for most people. Hour, hour and a half at the gym, four to five days a week is all that anyone really ever needs. A little bit of cardio for your heart. We do cardiovascular not or cardio exercise not to burn calories. We actually do it to improve our, our heart and our breathing. That's the real reason we should be focused on doing cardio and why everyone needs to have some form of cardiovascular exercise. Maybe it's going to play a basketball game. Maybe it's playing soccer. Maybe it's running on the treadmill, going for a hike, any form of long distance sustained exercise that elevates the heart, gets your breathing elevated or increased is cardiovascular and needs to be part of a well-rounded program. So mm. there is that 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 belief that, oh, I lift weights. I just need to be strong. Well, you're not physically fit if you don't have cardiovascular fitness. So hour, hour and a half, four to five days a week, as long as you include some form of cardiovascular exercise in that, some form of, hey, my muscles are capable of handling the load. Not everyone needs to lift weights. Body weight squats are good. Just being able to control yourself in a safe, strong manner makes you physically fit so that's Mm. the biggest one is people think you have to go 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 all the time all the time no uh no rest days is a popular hashtag okay that's not necessarily true we do get better and stronger by actually resting and recovering 
Yeah. And that's one thing that I have noticed. I was a part of a program where I was working out like two hours a day plus and uh, six days a week with one rest day off. And yeah. I found out that I didn't get any bigger or any stronger. And yeah, I was you like, felt tired. Mm-hmm, yeah. We judge our workouts by how hard we sweat and how tired we are. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily true. Unfortunately, it's not the best barometer of I'm getting better. Am I stronger? Am I physically fit? And can I handle more load? Can I run longer? Stuff like that. That's a better way of measuring our physical fitness. Our health is our, our heart rate, our breathing capacity. Our overall body composition is, does my belt feel looser? Can I move it over a notch? Are my shirts loose or my pants falling off kind of stuff? Those mm-hmm. are way better parameters of whether or not a program is effective. Right. And so what do you say to people that, you know, like say we, I look at a men's health magazine and I see this guy and he just chiseled abs, big chest, big arms. And I've been working out for like 15 years and I could not get to that point. Right. But that magazine is selling me this guy's image and if I work out like him or take his products, et cetera, I could look like that. So we all know that it's hogwash, right? We all know that it's not true. <laughs> there, there's truth in advertising and there is marketing and advertising. So what they're selling you is the image of what's possible without telling you the necessities to get there. Mm-hmm. Three to four week cut, no carbs deplete the system, get lean, get tan, use the proper lighting, Photoshop, and then the unspoken truth of illegal substances that they take. Right. So whether or not that's a choice between you and yourself and every other human on the planet, whether or not you want to take steroids or any of those the truth of the matter is the photos that you see they are on some form of substance hgh steroids and i'm not judging it's not my job it's not my place i say if you want to be happy with whatever you're doing go for it now we're getting into the understanding of uh, hormone replacement therapy i'm on board do what you can to maximize your life your own personal happiness and your achievement of your goals do what you got to do however in magazines, we got to understand the reality of what they're really doing mm-hmm. versus the reality of what they're promoting are not necessarily cohesive or meshed together. Right. There's right. also the uh, CrossFit games, which used to promote these people as the fittest planet, fittest on the planet, but they weren't doing CrossFit to get there. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they were doing their own type of program and then going to dominate at the games, which is great. Go for it. Be the best you can. However, it's not necessarily the truth in the truth to be truth in, in selling is what they're not necessarily giving you. Right. Right. And it took me a while to discover that, like dealing with or, you know, working out with pro bodybuilders, you know, I'd be like, hey, do you think this person is natural? They look at me like, come on, man. There's no way a human body could look like that naturally. No. You know, <laughs> so just look at the look at the evolution of the sport of bodybuilding from Arnold Schwarzenegger being the biggest bodybuilder of his day. Six mm-hmm. two. They called him the Austrian Oak because he was just this huge monster. He right. was competing at two hundred and twenty pounds, six foot two, two hundred and twenty pounds, just 
maybe 240, somewhere around there. But A, he's he's mentioned it many times. He was taking steroids. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm not on a diatribe anti-steroid. I'm just saying this is the facts. Today, they're 300 pounds on stage. They're taking massive amounts of HGH, which gives them that little bloat. It causes acromegaly. Some people's heads get bigger miraculously at 25. It's just, haven't figured out the science behind that. If you don't know, increased bone density, your head gets bigger. So if one day you're wearing a hat and the next day your hat doesn't fit, you got increased bone density. Happens when we take HGH. It's called acromegaly. We get bigger, denser bones. So now we have these huge structures on stage. So in 30 years, 40 years, they went from 220 to 300 pounds. The math doesn't equate with how fast our bodies evolve to get there we added 80 pounds of muscle in in 40 years it just doesn't equate that way Hmm. so there are substances involved and there's you know they're spending five six ten thousand dollars a month on nutrition nutritional supplements as we call them right right understand that yeah yeah no it it is a huge difference because i actually just watched um pumping iron uh, a couple weeks ago Great. And it's just Great like those guys were big, but they yeah. weren't like chiseled to the max, no. dry, you know, like yeah. they still had a little bit of body fat, but they were buff. But then yeah. it's like even when walking I- in six percent, four percent, five percent, there are some people competing at two percent body fat, which is also a little bit detrimental. That's why the, the rise of heart issues and stuff like that, de- over over dehydrating too much and getting, you know, passing on on stage, there's been a death or two, which is unfortunate but they're living their life as they see fit. And that's, that's what they get to do. Everyone gets to choose their own destiny. Right. And so what, what will be like a safe number um, for a body fat percentage? Um, For men, anywhere from 10. Well, part of it. Okay. Part of the answer becomes, are you doing it for something special? A photo Mm. shoot, you're looking at six to 10%. Healthy walking around is 10 to 15%. For females, you're looking at 14 to 20%. So women tend to carry a little bit more body fat. It's just kind of obvious where they carry it. Yeah. So 10 to 10 to 15% is your healthy norm for males where you're going to be in great shape. You're going to be capable of doing almost every activity. If you'll notice, athletes, sports performance athletes like baseball, basketball, football, they're not that lean. They don't have enough fat to keep themselves safe. So mm-hmm. A, fat helps with thermoregulation, maintaining our body temperature. It does provide some energy levels for us. There's the whole people of who do the keto diet because they wanna run their body off of fat. So there's that. And if you're so low depleted where you're walking on stage, just contracting your muscles for minutes at a time is actually overwhelming for your capabilities. So there are bodybuilders who will be dehydrated and pass out after they pose because they just don't have the capable necessities of energy to do the task at hand. So imagine playing a football game for three hours without the energy to perform. And that's what happens when we're so low body fat. We just, A, we can't take the pounding because we don't have the fat around our organs for protection. Mm-hmm. And we don't have the stored energy necess- necessities for performing our sport. So to answer the question again, 10 to 15% is awesome for men. 
15 to 20% is awesome for women. Anything in there and you're physically fit. You can perform almost any activity that you so hope for and you'll be healthy. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you say that because LeBron James is one of the most, you know, outstanding athletes in the world. Physically gifted specimens you'll ever find on the planet. Right, yeah. <laughs> exactly. He's not even like super lean with a six pack and chiseled no. or anything like that. So it's kind of interesting that you say that. Yeah. Um, you know, and that will help individuals know like, hey, it's okay to have a little bit of belly fat. You know, abs aren't the Absolutely. end all be all. You know, you're a human being. It's okay. Um, it's not how you look at the jersey. It's how you play in the jersey. That's right. a phrase we used in football because we had athletes who we played with who were wow, that dude's ripped, and then they don't perform, or they they flame out third quarter. So LeBron James is probably walking around around 10 to 12%. He probably comes in a little bit heavier preseason, plays himself into shape, and gets lean enough to where he's probably playing around 10%. Mm-hmm. Most likely. Most athletes are around 9 to 12% for their sport. Football players tend to carry a little bit more. Obviously, offensive linemen and defensive linemen carry more. But your your linebackers, your your quarterbacks, your receivers, your running backs all handle at about nine to twelve percent. Gives you the energy necessary for the game without being absolutely burned out. The most lean and or shredded athletes you'll find as far as a sport are gymnasts. They right. you walk, you look at them and you're like, oh my god. Yeah. But their sport doesn't have sustainability meaning they're not doing it for hours on end. Their practices mm-hmm. are long, but they can also take a break in between. They can get some fuel, sit down and have a little bit of food in between events if possible, if their nerves aren't too much. But they're the most shredded of all athletes that I've seen. Oh, yeah. But they don't have that sustained sport. They're more go, stop, go, stop, go, stop, mm-hmm. which helps. Yeah, so. I was talking to someone the other day because it's funny because <laughs> – because there was uh, guys that were teaching um, gymnastics and they were overweight. And I was like, there's no way in hell you could teach gymnastics and be overweight. Like those guys are shredded. If you used to do gymnastics, you should still be in some kind of shape, you know, because they're the most shredded people I have ever seen. Like when those guys, uh, when they're up on the rings with their two yep. hands up and you just see, you know, it's just you see every single muscle fiber that anyone could possibly have, you know? Yeah, they're just they're amazing athletes. And it's just ridiculous how in shape they will be. Now, not to be contradictory, you can be in any form of shape that you want. You're just making it harder on yourself to do the activity that you're choosing. So there are people who can do tumbling and all that and be a little bit overweight or even grossly overweight. If you know how to control your body, your sustainability just won't be there. But mm. so there is something to say about being in your peak physical condition. It doesn't mean you're as lean as you can be. That's not necessarily peak physical condition. Those are those are sometimes contradictory to each other as far as being as lean as possible and being in as best shape as possible. Hmm. Wow, I'm learning a lot today. <laughs> what I'm here for. Yeah, so um, so so basically, like say if you have a, a onboarding a new client, right? Is every single client that you deal with, like it's just total like everyone is different, right? So 100%. do you look at it as like, okay, this is a special case, and what are those special cases based on? Um well, 
first and foremost, everyone is essentially human being. So we all have the same movements. We generally have the same goals. Everyone wants to feel better, move better, and just generally be better. Those are across the board. That's what people want. Not everyone wants to lose weight, although we do have a rising epidemic of obesity in this country and in the world. So you can sort of say what men want. You can sort of say what women want, but it really does boil down to, I want to be comfortable in my skin. I want to look in the mirror and say, I'm not embarrassed by what I see. Mm -hmm. Then I want to be able to never feel inadequate trying to do something. That's a big thing. That's a huge component for self-confidence. Getting up off the floor if you struggle is an embarrassing thing for you to go through personally. So you say to yourself, I want to make this easier. So one of the best compliments I get from some of my older people, my older clients is, you made it easier for me to get up off the floor. For younger people, it's you gave me the ability to do a skill that I had never been capable of doing. For some of us, standing on one leg is easy. For some of us, it's absolutely impossible, meaning we just wobble, we can't quite grasp it. Mm -hmm. So everyone has a root problem. And if you say, this is how everyone is the same, it's everyone has a root issue that we wanna get to. And it is my job to find out what the cause of that root issue is and then get you to the point of saying, I have overcome that and I'm better at what was causing me discomfort. It could be pain, it could be a weakness, it could be a lack of balance. It could be a mental mindset of, oh, I can't do that. I've never been able to do that. I hear all the time from adults, my balance sucks. Well, it's like, when have you ever practiced your balance? Since you were 10 years old, have you done anything that was balance related? The answer is 90% of the time, no. Mm -hmm. So we can get to being better. And then from there, we just start progressing. Everyone can get better at something. Right. It's interesting that you say that because I like, say for me, for instance, I I'll have, I feel like I have to work out or else my back will start hurting. And I feel like maybe, you know, the way my body distributes weight makes right. my back hurt. And so it's important for me to strengthen those muscles and, you know, get them, you know, get them ready to yep. carry that kind of weight based on how my body distributes weight. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I'm, yeah. I'm the same way. So a uh, car accident years ago, lower back will bother me if I don't do anything for a few days. So a couple of things, the hamstrings can get tight from lack of activity. Mm -hmm. The hamstrings lead to the, lead to the glutes being tight. The glutes lead to the lower back being tight. It's known as the post posterior chain or posterior chain, however you want to pronounce it. Yeah. So the hamstrings, the glutes, the booty muscles, and your lower back are all tied in together. Mm -hmm. One of them gets tight, typically the hamstrings. The lower back is what suffers because it's the smallest musculature of the group. So big, big muscles, hamstrings, big muscles, glutes, small muscles, lower back. The littlest brother is the one who gets the brunt of the issues, right? right. If you grow up in family of brothers and sisters, you typically understand that. Mm -hmm. So being active, blood flow, the reason why, huge reason why we want to be active many days, but not every day, is the muscles need a chance to recover. But blood flow is the reason we speed up our recovery. 
So too many people want to go, hey, I'm going to do legs. I'm going to train legs today. And then I'm going to do nothing with my legs for the next three days because my legs are sore. How do we actually combat that muscle soreness? Easy, moderate activity. Dynamic movements like stretching, mobility stacks, which is a series of flowing exercises designed to increase muscle pliability, mm -hmm. going for a walk. Those are all ways to increase our blood flow. So as you've experienced for your lower back, you being active is a great way for you to combat pain and soreness. And the root reason is generally your blood flow increases to your working muscles, which gets the muscles loose and pliable, just mm -hmm. like a rubber band. If you have universal, you grab a rubber band and we pull it easy a couple times, right? Yeah. And we use the rubber band for whatever necessary reasons we have grabbing the rubber band. Our muscles are the same way. We give it an easy pull of our muscles. Our muscles warm up. They get that heat. They get that blood flow. And the next thing you know, we have increased muscle pliability. Mm -hmm. So if we're sitting around a lot, we're not doing too much activity. Our muscles start to get tight, just like that rubber band. So we need to do easy stretches. Activity like weightlifting, going for walks, playing sports is a great way for us to increase the blood flow and the muscle pliability, decreasing our pain. Key to that is we increase our quality of life. Not enough people talk about quality of life. Being physically fit increases our quality of life. Being physically unfit to where we change our walk, aka our gait, mm -hmm. we move in pain, or we are incapable of doing certain activities, those all decrease our quality of life. Yeah. It's any type of fitness and most types of activities increase our quality of life and that's what we really want to preach to most people is just being active actually makes your life more enjoyable and that's what i that's what i do with the stronger day their education academy is we teach pe teachers how to implement those strategies to kids so that the next generation of kids or next generation of adults is learning young just being active find something you love and do it for the rest of your life because you'll be healthier and happier because of it. It's interesting that you say that because say, you know, like you mentioned earlier, growing up, it was just bench pressing and squats. Well, we didn't really do squats where I'm from. It was just bench pressing and getting the muscles that you could see. Like we grew up wearing backy clothes. So it's like your chest and your biceps was like the yeah. main things, right? So your mirror muscles. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I look good. Just don't turn around. I don't right. want to behind me. I can't look at those things. Right. So it's Absolutely. like a lot of men skip leg day because it was like, yeah. why would I work out on legs? I'm walking every day anyway. Yeah. You know, I can put pants on. Come on. <laughs> no one has to see my legs. And there are still some people who do that to this day. Yeah. And in certain circles, they get made fun of because they have this huge, massive upper body. Right. And they don't want to suffer the, the pains of a leg day, let's say. Right. Let's be honest. Training legs is hard. I always say there's no sweat like a leg day sweat. Oh, no. It's the hardest thing we can generally do exercise-wise, exercise but it's also the most beneficial. Right. Legs incorporate more parts of our bodies than every other thing. And it's an essential movement of our life. Every major lower body exercise involves the motion of getting up out of a chair. Right. It's known as hip extension and knee extension. So rising up out of your bed, out of a chair involves the motions of a squat. 
Same motions as a lunge, same motions as a deadlift, same motions as jumping. They all perform the same muscle contraction style and the same joint movements. Mm -hmm. So how do we make life easier? By doing the exercises of everyday life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because when I, I neglected legs until like, you know, three years ago when I was like, no, I have to really pound them. Like I, yep. I, I remember my first leg workout, I could barely sleep. My legs were so sore, but it's yeah. like, you haven't touched them for over 10 years. If the, if you ever yep. touch them at all, you know? So now when I bend down to pick something up, it's super easy to me. Like, I'm not like, Ooh, but yeah. I'm always top heavy. So it's like, no matter what, I'm going to be top heavy. But if I neglect my legs, it's always going to be tough. So say if I try to run a mile, I would be out of breath and my legs would be super tired because my leg muscles were weak, yep. you know? And so it, it's interesting how you say that. So I'm like, yesterday was my leg day. And so I did two sets of uh, quads, uh, the leg extensions. Right. So my second set of leg extensions, I was like, you know, I was this super big guy. And I was like, hey, could I work in with you? And so he started at about 100 pounds. And I was like, nah, man, I need to do heavier than this. And so I just increased the weight, did my reps, increased the weight. So I kind of, you know, that's how I do it. And he was right. kind of surprised. He was like, wow, you're doing 200 pounds? And he was like, man, I can't eat. And his legs were like three times bigger than mine's, you right. know, but we talked about how he distributes his weight differently than I do. And I was like, if I don't have, my legs will be skinny, skinny as hell if I didn't have muscles on, you know, right. like I, yeah. I store absolute, I'm a man that doesn't store absolutely any fat in his legs, but he right. did. So it's like the aesthetics were kind of like, man, I know you could squat like 700 pounds, but he couldn't. But yeah. it was just the way his body distributed the weight. Yeah. You know? So that that's a huge reason why it's tough to uh, we want to look at other people. Now, I recommend, highly recommend mm -hmm. when you go to the gym, look at other people because you can learn from them. You can learn something from everyone who walks in the gym. Yeah. Do, the, do it for that reason. However, don't judge and don't compare. Because your journey is not their journey. No. And what you may be going through is not what they're going through. And you may say, hey, well, I want to look like that. And they may be looking at you and say, hey, well, I want what they have. Because we just don't know genetically, injury-wise, training history, time frame, sometimes work, balance, relationship, yep. home life. We really do over jealous size. I made that word up, but <laughs> looking at other people saying, hey, I want that. And meanwhile, they're looking at us going, hey, well, I would like to be able to walk easier because my knees hurt so much because I did so much heavy poundage when I was younger. I mean, you look at old bodybuilders who are 60 years old and they all have that old bodybuilder walk where they kind of shuffle to the side because their hips weren't necessarily ready or capable for the poundage that they were doing so comparing and judging based off of what someone else is doing is a recipe for disaster and oh, yeah. we really just need to be maximizing what we can do yeah exactly and i and i definitely learned that like i will observe a workout and be like oh that looks interesting i like uh, let me try that out but then for 100%. me to be like hey i want to be like this guy i mean like he might be an ex nfl player you yep. never did that you know so, like <laughs> I wish that more people understood that, that we should be in 
gym settings, learning and observing, and the gym community of 20 and 30 years ago, as little understanding as there was for performance training, there was a better sense of helping in community. Nowadays, everyone just wants to take their TikToks and post their social media videos. Mm -hmm. But if you actually step back and just watch and observe, I learned 30 years ago from watching the big guys back at the gym. And some of them were pretty famous bodybuilders. And you just look and you say, well, why are they doing that? Then the best part, I wish it was more like this. They were friendly. You could ask them a question of why are you doing that? What's Mm -hmm. that for? And they would readily have conversations. Everyone puts in their headphones now and is like, don't talk to me. I'm here. Everyone thinks they're one workout away from a million dollar contract on TV or something. And if we had a better gym community of let's help, let's give back, let's teach, let's coach you're going to realize that the gym is probably one of the friendliest environments because everyone is there for one reason to get better for themselves. Yeah. And we do that together collectively a lot better than we do walking around sulking and angry one, one rep away from perfection. Apparently that's what some people think. Yeah. And there are people that, that work out, you know, for ego. Like the other day I was at the gold gym in Venice and I seen this guy doing a bench press and he was off balance and I wanted to tell him, be like, hey, man, like when you're lifting, you're kind of tilted. So right. I'm not sure you probably want to, you know, but then I thought about it. I was like, I'm not even sure if that guy would even take that well. He'll probably be pissed off. Like, who do you think you're talking to? You know, um, from experience, my two second advice is frame it in the que- frame it in the form of a question. Hey, hey, bud, I've never seen it done like that. Can you explain why you're doing it? No one. I have 30 years experience and I don't like going up to people at the gym and saying, Oh, well you should be doing this because everyone knows more than me. It's Mm -hmm. a simple fact. Everyone knows everything. That's just the way of the world. But if we approach, if we see something, because I do it, I say, Hey, I've never seen it done like that. What's your reasoning? And they're generally very free and open with, well, I was doing this. A lot of times it's, well, that's how I was taught or that's what I thought we were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So I will watch practice on my own, sometimes just go off to the corner and be like, let me try and figure that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, case in point, just the other week, I saw someone doing face pulls, which is, you know, the exercise where we're just kind of taking yeah. and pulling here. Well, I saw some people pulling it like this. And my rational brain said, hmm, now it doesn't make it a wrong exercise. I don't have a problem with it. They're doing an exercise that works. Yeah. However, if we're grabbing like this, we're getting more bicep. We're doing more pulling. Because the joint that's working the majority of the movement gets the majority of the emphasis. Right. So case in point, bench press, we got normal bench press or close grip bench press, right? Mm-hmm. Normal bench press, more chest, close grip, more tricep. tricep. Yeah. The joint going through the further range of motion has more emphasis. So the way that they were gripping it, they were pulling like this to do face pulls. Mm-hmm. I usually pull like this, but you'll see I can pull so much farther back. And I do get more rear deltoid that way. But should I be the one inferring, hey, you're doing that wrong? Well, maybe their goal was to work more biceps. Mm -hmm. The next one exercise. And that's what I, that's, that was my reasoning. They're doing more biceps, which makes it a great exercise. Doesn't make it a wrong exercise. It's just not necessarily what I had in mind. Right. You can do all sort of balance training and look weird doing it. 
Mm-hmm. But the only question remains is, is it safe? If it's right. safe, then it's probably effective. Right, right. And I just learned um, using the lat pull down, you know, from the top and doing a bicep exercise by doing a closer grip and yep. reverse pull and doing it down like that. Like I just discovered that. Um, and I was like, wow, that is a very good, you know, bicep exercise, but I would have never thought that, you know? (laughs) So if you get that big range of motion for the elbow, you get a great bicep pump. You can actually change it to go lower and do more lower lat, which Mm -hmm. is also a great exercise. So yeah, the beauty of training biceps and back is our grip changes. So we have underhand for more lower. We have neutral for more middle. We have overhand for more upper. Mm-hmm. And all of those are great variations we can use, which truly do make exercise a lifelong pursuit because we keep learning new things every day. Like I just said, I learned something I haven't seen before because I watched and I observed and I said, hmm, let me try that out. See what they're trying to achieve by doing it. And maybe I'll add it to my repertoire later in life. Right. And then it also depends on the body type, because sometimes you could do an exact workout as someone else, but it doesn't hit you. You know, like the contraction isn't as powerful, you know, and I have learned that like I would do different um, calf raises, but I'm like the seated calf raise really hit, you know, hits. But when I do the standing calf raise, it's like, ah, you know, all right, so let's do a learning moment for that. Mm-hmm. Seated calf raise. When the knee is bent, when the knee joint is bent, we're focused on the soleus muscle. The soleus muscle, if you think of your calf, most people, when we say calf, we think of the gastrocnemius, the big bubble. Underneath that muscle, which is more of the Achilles muscle, what we think of as the Achilles portion of our calf, that's the soleus. So when our leg is straight, we work the gastrocnemius, which is weaker than the soleus, and we work the soleus. So we feel the gastrocnemius burning. Mm-hmm. When we do bent knee, because the gastrocnemius attaches above the knee joint, it has slack in it. So therefore, we're working only the soleus. So two muscles working versus one muscle working, which one's going to burn more? The one muscle working. One muscle. Now, the soleus is actually the stronger of the two, Mm -hmm. and it is typically the reason why we have a powerful jump, is a powerful soleus makes us capable of producing more power when we jump, because think about it, you don't jump with your knees straight, right? You're in a semi-squatted position. So doing squatted calf raises are very good at making us better jumpers. Box jumps are a perfect example of why the soleus being powerful helps us jump higher, which is very important in sports like basketball. So just jumping in general, great for the soleus development, which will make the gastroc look bigger, but gastroc, nemius when the legs are locked, soleus when the knee is bent. Wow. And that's why we do CD calf raises. Right. Right now, I still do both because I know yeah, it's working absolutely some- you have to do yeah. both because <laughs> the soleus will the soleus will dominate and the gastroc never gets worked. So you have to do straight leg to do the gastroc. So absolutely, you have to do both yeah. in some form or manner or whatever. We would not do. Hey, I'm not going to work my tricep because I worked my bicep. Well, right. that makes no sense either. Same same with your same with calf raises, bent knee and straight leg, so that we get both of those muscles going. Mm-hmm. Wow, this is like a never-ending science to me. 
<laughs> I've been spending the last 30 years trying to learn more and more. And that's why there, and there is different approaches. So what works for you might not work for me. What we may be workout partners together. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you're looking like this and everyone's like, damn, he's putting in some hard work. And then I'm working out with you every day. And I'm like, what the, what the heck? I, I, I'm not achieving the same goals. Perfect example is me and my little brother. We worked out. He's been my workout partner for since we were 18 years old. Mm-hmm. Right. He's a little bit taller, lankier. He's more baseball player. I'm more football player. And yet our workouts all time together. I get stronger. He gets leaner. Same workout. Yeah. He'll turn into 6% body fat and I'll be stronger in every exercise. It's like, well, and then we argue, well, I want to be more like that. I want to be more like that. And it's, it's funny <laughs> how we just, we always want what someone else has. Right. That's funny. Cause I have brothers that are taller than me. And, you know, like saying, once I hit puberty, I, I gained a lot of weight and I was working right. out. So I was a shorter one, but I was stocky. But they had like they were they had no muscle at all, you know, just skinny. Like once started working out and developed. But for me, I was always a stocky, you know, buff one. And I developed muscle quick. You know what I mean? While they had like abs and they could eat junk and still have abs. But if I ate junk, my stomach was poop. You know what I mean? So, yeah, similar. Definitely all have to know ourselves, know our body. And, you know, it's it's all an individual type of thing, you know? Yeah. So that, yeah. Back to like the first question is what would I, what would, what's the best way for someone to get better? And uh, the Mm -hmm. fad, the fad is thinking that if you and two, another person want to do the exact same thing that you're going to have the same results. It's not true. So working out five days a week for me might work. Working out six days a week might be too much and my body starts to break down. There is so much interplay on trial and error. And everyone thinks that, hey, January 1st coming up very quickly. It's the biggest workout day of the year, technically January 2nd. Everyone has those New Year's resolutions, right? Mm -hmm. So they think by January 3rd, they're going to achieve the body of their dreams. It's not how it works. It takes time. It takes trial and error, finding out what you enjoy. That's why if you if you're going to read any magazine that's going to say the best exercises for automatically take it with a grain of salt, because there is no such thing as the best. There is good, better and then unsafe. Yeah, we want to avoid the unsafe. Yeah, try the good and then see if we can refine it a little bit Mm -hmm. like wider pull downs versus more narrow pull downs they're going to work the same muscle but which do you as a person prefer that will help you figure out what is best for you and yourself right the mind and muscle connection so is there anything that you have to say um in regards to diets like have you heard of the blood type diet or keto or you know paleo do you feel like the diets are specific based off of the person as well i think diets are a huge marketing not scam, but huge marketing selling point for people to make money off of someone else. Mm-hmm. The most important diet is how many calories does your body need and how many calories is your body taking in? Mm. I don't, well, there's health and then there's weight loss. There's health, there's weight loss, and then there's trying to add muscle. If you're trying to add muscle, you want protein in an excess amount slightly above your daily need mm-hmm. two to 500 calories more than your body burns on a daily basis 
The average person they say on the food guide is 2000 calories. So if you're trying to add muscle, try to get to 2250 to 2500 calories of extra protein so that you have the protein for repair. Now, how you break that down, carnivore diet, basically just eating meat, keto diet, eliminating most of your carbs and trying to run off of fat, blood type diet, finding out what type of food your blood digests and uses most efficiently. They're all forms of nutrition that may work for you and may not work for you. Inter intermittent fasting is super popular right now. If you wake up at 4 a.m., it's kind of hard to wait until 12 to get that first set of calories in for the day. Right. So it may work for you, but it really does come down to this. Calories in versus calories out, and then paying attention to how many calories you're actually eating. It's very easy to add 200 calories of mayo to your sandwich and not account for it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when we're talking nutrition with people, they'll be like, oh, well, I only ate this, this, and this. And then you're like, well, how many, how many calories did you drink? Well, I had a soda. Well, how much was in the soda? Well, it was just one glass of 32 ounces of soda. Mm. That's 500 calories. And yeah. they didn't account for that because they don't realize that liquid calories add up very quickly. Generally yeah. speaking, I tell people, if you're really truly trying to lose weight, monitor first and foremost, how many liquid calories you're taking in in a day. Because it's the one thing that they could really truly measure, mm -hmm. right? You go to a restaurant, you can't measure how much butter they cook the food in. Right. You don't know. Right. You're eating on a regular basis. And yes, we do eat for enjoyment. But if we measure how many liquid calories we're taking in, it's an easy way to say, hey, I can, I can eliminate that and simply make less calorically dense choices for my liquids. You know, that's the, honestly, that's the only thing that I focus on is liquid calories because yeah. it's just too much. Like, you know, hey, make sure it's 30 grams of protein and 30 grams. I'm like, bro, I don't have time to do that. Yeah, most people you know? don't. <laughs> most people don't. And, it, and it's just the it's the go-go world that we live in. Check Check your weight every three to four weeks. If your weight has gone up and you don't like it, monitor what you're doing for the next week. If right. your weight has gone down and you like it, monitor what you're doing and keep doing that. If you're trying to add muscle and you're getting stronger, you are adding muscle. Right. Most people want the easy route to monitor over time without too much daily annoyances like tracking calories. I measured my food. That's why bodybuilders are the, the going back to them, the deadline diet of I need to be ready for this show it's generally the only people that I I mention that they should be weighing their foods because they need to they need to be their best and they need precision. Mm -hmm. That's why bodybuilders are the most precise, most dedicated, most adamantly perfect because they are they're all about that grind and that life. And most people outside of that sport don't need any level of anywhere near that level of dedication and devotion. Right. Yeah, because it is. I have some bodybuilder friends that prepare for shows, and I'm like, man, this is intense. Yeah. You know, and they like go crazy. Like, I need to eat. I need to eat. Where's my food? I have to go. Okay, I'm gonna bring my food. It's like, oh my god, man, are you okay? So that's <laughs> why they have their food available is because it has to be perfect. It has to be measured. It has to be weighed, yeah. and they want to eat it when their time clock allows for. Yeah. I don't get to eat until 12 p.m. And at 12.01, they're like, where's my food at? I'm starving. I, I, I need it. I have to have it. It's because yeah. everything is so perfectly proportioned for their 
for their capabilities, hopefully by a coach who knows what they're doing. Uh, some of them don't because they just say, hey, eat tilapia and asparagus six times a day for the next six weeks. Doesn't have to be like that, but there's a lot of coaches out there saying, hey, go do this. And then they wonder why everyone's miserable all day long. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I just got on to Mike Wentz and a lot of things that he's saying or have said because he passed. It just makes sense. He was like a lot of bodybuilders, you know, they'll be frustrated, but I eat ice cream. And as long as I'm below my caloric intake for the day, yep. I'm OK. Yep. And I was like, Absolutely. well, hold on. Uh, what? Well, that does make sense. The body doesn't know what to do with it. If it doesn't have an excess, it will figure out something to do with it. Mm hmm. If it needs those calories, your body doesn't necessarily know the difference between carbs, carbs, this carbs, that yes, there is a digestion time, a speed of which it's doing something, mm -hmm. but it doesn't necessarily know the breakdown of, well, this was from ice cream or this was from a potato. Once it gets into the system, it's essentially the same. Now we're talking semantics here and someone might argue, well, you could do this, this. And if you do a blood test, that's not what we're getting into the, the root issues of everything, but hundred calories of ice cream versus hundred calories of a baked potato is still hundred calories. Mm -hmm. So we want to be miserable. Go, go make yourself miserable. If you want to eat rice and fish and rice all day long, be my guest. However, if you want to enjoy your life and still get healthier and leaner and more fit, you can make smart choices as long as you're not going over what your body really needs and uses. Yeah. And that's how, and I actually adopted that too. Cause I'm like, I, at the end of the day, it's about portion control. And I'll tell yep. people that all the time when I go out the country and, you know, like Colombia, China, Paris, people don't eat a lot of, yep. you know, too much food. So they we have over choices, but not yeah. excess amounts. Exactly. They talk about the, the, all the breads that the French eat. Oh, they eat pastry. Oh my God. There's pastries every pastries yeah. are like gas stations, like they're yeah. everywhere. They're selling crepes all over the place, yep. pastries, and I was and I was eating them, but yeah. I was walking around all day. I burned it, and yeah. you know, I, I just got rid of it fast, you know. Yep. So it was kind of it kind of freaked me out because I was like, I know I gained at least four pounds. Then I got on the it's scale awesome. and I was the same. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's, and it's just a matter of the smarter choices we make, the more consistently we make them, the healthier we're going to be. Mm -hmm. Now, unfortunately, we have a lot of people who sit around kind of bragging about how much they can eat. Oh, I can eat a full pizza by myself. Well, that's that's 3,000 calories, and that's your allotment for the next two days. Right. You can have pizza if you're doing it if you're doing it properly. Okay, that's a that's a big reason why also some people work out is so that they can afford the calories, but. That's generally setting us up. That's a recipe for a disaster for most people because they don't really account for like we just had Halloween here. Right. How many calories did you eat passing out candies because you snuck a piece of candy every 15 minutes? And the next thing you know, you had 20 candy bars in your mouth without even paying attention to those 2000 calories because oh, it's just one candy bar. <laughs> We're being smart. Make smarter choices. Make smarter decisions more often. We'll be doing we'll be on the right path. Yeah, man, I really appreciate this conversation because I feel like it is going to debunk a lot of the um, healthy myths. You know, it's like yeah. I can't eat because at the end of the We're day, I feel like do. a lot a lot of people end up um, basically like relapsing on their health is because they do these yeah. extreme diets. But the body yeah. is like, man, I want sugar like I like it. 
I want chili cheese fries. Like I want it. But then it's like as, as human beings, we're attracted to fatty, salty and sugary foods. And yep. to play like we're not, it's like a disservice. It's like, look, man, we're all human. If yeah. I'm going to eat some chili cheese fries, I'm just eat this much versus yep. the whole, you know, pack that they want to serve me because yeah. they want to make money you know pay attention to the serving size because like yes. you can have two oreos enjoy your three oreos and it's 100 calories but you eat a sleeve of oreos the next thing you know that's 1500 calories exactly so it's paying attention we don't want to pay attention to the foods we the amount of foods we intake we monitor what we eat but we don't want to have to monitor how much we eat the right. best decision you can make is know what goes in your mouth and know the amounts that you're using because your body will become very efficient at burning it off if it's not in excess. Right. Exactly. Because I love like when I do sugar and then I go work out, it's like the best pump ever for me, yep. you know, because of the glucose. And it's like, yep. oh, it makes sense. It's that little vascularity because of the sugar. So a lot of like before bodybuilding shows, a lot of them I actually drink a glass of wine. Hmm. So little known, well, they basically live off of cigarettes and low carb. And then the day before the show, depending on their body, they'll play with it a little bit. They'll actually eat a ton of sugar to get vascular, to get more ripped, to appear more defined. Mm -hmm. Like we talked about the photo shoots in the magazines, mm -hmm. they'll get super depleted for three to four weeks. And then one day to two days before most people are around 36 hours, they'll eat and eat all that high carb foods to yeah. get fully vascular and look even more shredded because the muscle gets depleted, which means it doesn't look as shredded. So they drink wine before, right before they step on stage and then they get that little increased level of vascularity. So yeah, and I feel like the average person would not know this at yeah. all. No, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> because they're like, oh, I ate, you know, a chicken breast, rice and asparagus, like you said. And I'm gonna look. It's like no, it's a lot of tips and tricks. And yeah. man, it's is. I was once I started dealing with professionals, I was like, what the hell? Like, basically, I was just told all the lie. Like, I that like one pro bodybuilder I worked out with, we went to the gym, and we just did enough exercise with like a low to moderate weight, where it was like we just got blood into the muscle. Yeah, and he was like, we're done. I'm like, I don't, I don't feel a burn. Like, I'm yeah. not worn out he was like we're done and i was like what how so he's lifting for he's lifting for the appearance of the muscle and not the effectiveness of the muscle so going back to the have to find what is the most effective for yep. your goals right what do you what are you trying to achieve yep and then you'll figure that out and your best friend in the whole world might not be the best person for you to work out with because they might have different goals Yep. And that's and why I'm like, out. hey, we're on we're on different schedules. I've had workouts partners before who it's like, you know, this just isn't working because I want to do this and you want to do this and I'll see you there. But we're on our own little journeys because everyone has their own fitness journey and it's completely individualized. You know what? To be honest, I hate workout partners because it's, you know, I, honestly, I do not like it. People, like, hey, man, I want to work out with you. I'm like, oh, no, I I can't do it. Cause it's like you don't want to put forth the effort, and then that brings me down. Or, or you say, "Well, I'm about to do something else," and it's like we're supposed to do this together. And it's like I have my goals, you have yours, or I'm trying to finish it, and you start yeah. texting and trying to act like you're doing something else. And it's like you know, I have a different set of minds, so I'm like, you know, it's okay what what they want to do, but it's like while I'm here, I'm locked in 
yeah. to this, you know, and when you're serious about it, it's kind of hard to deviate from that, as you know. So you know what works best for you and you have to follow that path. I'm I'm on both and it just depends on where I'm at mentally for the day. Mm -hmm. uh, I do both where I work out alone. Great. Sometimes I work out with partners. Great. Sometimes. And some days you just want to tell the world, leave you alone and just put on your headphones and focus on. Yep ask at hand and it's the greatest workout you ever have but yeah. <laughs> everyone's fitness journey is their fitness journey yeah that's true man hey this has been a enlightening great conversation i'm really glad that we connected um Same i've here. learned a lot and i feel like with this episode a lot of the listeners out there will learn the truth about fitness and the truth that and you know one important takeaway from this is that everything is individualized we're all different yep. human beings we all distribute 100%. fat weight you know uh fat muscles everything differently you know so yeah. and we that's that's one thing our own way yeah yeah and that's one thing that i've learned after the years of getting into this so spencer i want to thank you so much for uh for coming on and joining the militant grind podcast Very welcome. and it's is there friend. is there anything um in closing that you would like to tell the listeners at all um find what you enjoy you are more likely to do it for the remainder of your lifetime if you enjoy it so one of the unfortunately one of the saddest things i've ever heard in the gym was a lady talking to her friend saying i hate my workout but i have to do it mm. could you imagine spending an hour of your day every day doing something you hate if you hate going to the gym i'm sure you can find something else that you enjoy Find an activity that forces your muscles to be strong, that elevates your breathing and increases your heart rate. And they don't all have to be at the same time. But if you can find one activity or three that you enjoy doing, you're going to be ahead of the game as far as living a healthy lifestyle. And right. if anyone has any questions about how to go about doing that, that's what we do at fitnessbasedpe.com, our company's Stronger Together Education Academy. You can email any of your questions at spencer at spenceraken.com. I'll help out as best we can because what we're trying to do is educate the people who deal with the largest population trying to learn, and that's physical education teachers. Fitness Based PE is about teaching kids for the rest of their lives Find what you enjoy and then do that because everyone's different. That was amazing. Well, thank that you. was amazing. And I and I love that you said that because that does not limit limit you to just working out. You could garden and yep. do a physical activity. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> like there's many things that one is able to do. So again, Spencer, thank you so much. You're very um, welcome. You know, appreciate your time. Yeah, get with you soon. Perfect. That'll work. Thank All you right. very much today. No problem. All right. Thank you.